0: Hello everybody and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid. It's our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host Dylan Lockwood. Joining me is Aaron Hardick, research analyst. How are you today, Aaron?
1: I'm good, Dylan. I'm actually getting over an ear infection. Steph, how are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm I'm doing good. I spent my entire weekend asleep and cooking because I had an open Sunday, so I thought oh, I'll just make all my food for the week, which I have eaten most of already, so I clearly don't know how to portion things properly. And also, uh, I experimented last night with making a a garlic and mayonnaise and truffle oil aioli for for burgers, and now my whole house just smells like truffle oil, which people think, oh, that's cool, but it gets to you after a while. It really, really does. It's super earthy.
1: Well, I'm sorry for the smell, but that does sound delicious.
0: Yeah, we're always looking to make people hungry when they listen to this because we always record before lunch. Cause every ear infection story kind of killed, killed my appetite, <laughs> but I'm always happy to help. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, the notable silency here is uh, our friend Christine is, she's not going to be joining us this week. She had something come up. She's a very important lady. So uh, we'll regrettably miss her this week, but we'll, she'll be back next week, most likely, but Filling in for Christine this week, we have our good friend, the Global Vice President of Digital Transformation at ABB, Rob Massoudi. How are you doing today, Rob?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you, Dylan. And I'll tell you, all this discussion around food, um, you know, I'm not not—I'm not deterred by the ear infection piece at all. Um, when am I coming over? Oh, uh,
0: I guess uh, whenever the Mariners game is on today. About all five. right. <laughs> I'll, catch, I'll catch the red eye. I'll be right there. So uh, you were at ETS. how'd you like it?
2: you know I, I have to tell you um, and and this is from the bottom of my heart i've I've attended a lot of events, and I, what I loved was that there was no vendor presence. Uh, it was all about discussions and exchange of knowledge and information. Uh, the level of the people attending there were pretty impressive you know, the C-suite you know we got into some really Meaty topics and, and discussion points, um, and you um, know, just just from the sheer networking standpoint, uh, two thumbs up from just uh, the conversation of the topics and you know, getting to the pain points and and you know, opportunity discussion at the C level, uh, two thumbs up, um, five stars, whichever one you want to take. I'm happy to give. Uh, it was a it was a fantastic event. I was I was very energized both going into the event and even more energized coming out of the event. Of the kind of topics and discussions that were on the table, and you know, it, very very grounded, very real, uh, fantastic event.
1: So, Rob, our, our theme this year was dream and digital. Was there anything that stuck out to you in particular that you heard at the event that was kind of like an overarching theme or a main takeaway that came out of the event for you?
2: Yeah, you know, I learned something new about the most abundant source of energy in the world today: uh, denial. Uh, that was that was actually that was actually a phenomenal uh, phenomenal topic that came up. Uh, you know, we were on the topic of energy, and um, one of the things that, that that just hit me real hard was how little the energy companies were thinking about the data and the value of data. You know, speaking about uh, you know digital, and you know what a phenomenal conversational topic that was in terms of just what is the value of that data. And, and um, you know, another great theme that, that came out for me was, where are we going to, you know, where's that, where's that next generation of revenue going to come from? Um, so those were, those were a couple of uh, pretty big topics as, as it relates to digital that um, were, I would say, top of mind um, for a lot of the executives that I spoke with over there. Um, and, you know, the whole, the whole, the renewable, distributed renewable energy thing, you know, it's there, undeniable. Uh, So there's no denial around that, but the impact of it in terms of decline in revenue, uh, efficiency, decline in demand, and you know how are the utility companies, particularly distribution utilities, um, are getting hit and are getting squeezed in in the process. So those are those are a couple of uh, significant emerging themes there. Um, Very real, very grounded. Yeah, you
0: talked about um, you talked about that data piece pretty significantly in, in your. In your presentation on mm-hmm. Wednesday morning, or was it Tuesday morning? One of the mornings. It
2: was Tuesday. Yeah, it was okay. Tuesday morning.
0: Yeah. Okay. Tuesday morning. And I'm cutting the rest of that stuff before, so I look smarter. Um, <laughs> uh, so what you talked about in regards to the data is something I've heard before, um, it's, mm-hmm. and it's something that's a growing concern. So what do you think uh, some of the energy companies are missing in regards to that data value and uh, what bridges do we still need to fjord in that, in that space?
2: Oh, what, a, what a great question. You know, in the consulting world, we used to say, a great question is one that I have an answer to. Oh, I'm sorry, a good question is one I have an answer to. A great question, is, I have a PowerPoint slide to. What a great question, just, just spot on. Uh, you know, it's, it's the consumer data. It's the customer data. They have so little understanding and appreciation as well as access to their customers I think you know they traditionally it's been a world of network designers and you know looking at the network and thinking about the network and thinking about the electricity and the electrons and the movements of electrons and all of that and and the new world is really about understanding your customers their needs how their behaviors um, you know how they're going to consume and how they're going to produce because they're now producers too right so it's a very very uh, different mindset it's a big shift in terms of understanding the value of the data and the connection of the data both from the customer world to back into the grid world and and how that data could help them um, you know not not only optimize um, their infrastructure in the network as, as they're very good at doing but help them really look at new opportunities and where they can go out and offer new services to their customers so so I think that's a big shift um, and there's a big gap there in terms of their access to that knowledge where you know, all of the top players are coming in, they're just sweeping in. Um, you know, every industry is getting Ubered and Amazon, right? That's that's nothing new for us and this industry is no exception and um, you know, I think those who have access to that data information can aggregate that data information in a meaningful way on the customer side of the, and by customer I mean the end, end users of electricity, right? Um, you know they're they're going to extract the most amount of value out of this deal.
0: That kind of plays into this whole thing that customers are becoming pretty much the forefront of the conversation. Uh, Aaron, what did you hear about uh, customer interaction at, at ETS? Because I, I heard a lot. What, what, what were some of your takeaways, and why do you think that conversation has shifted?
1: Well, I, I think that what Rob brings up is the most commonly talked about. Um, I guess issue facing utilities in terms of customer engagement it's how do we better leverage the data that already exists um, and we've talked about we've talked about this on podcasts before, and it's an interesting it's an interesting question because we are going through this digital transformation you know maybe slower or, or a little later than a lot of industries today however i I think it's just important to understand the urgency around getting this transformation or transition in place. Um, So I think that's one of the biggest takeaways is starting to really understand customers. And I think it's a step up just to even just for utilities to even recognize that maybe they're not even utilizing the data in the most efficient way. So that's one of the biggest takeaways I've noticed um in general, when it comes to how customers are influencing the ways that utilities are, are providing service to them. The other thing I think that needs to be talked about is setting expectations with customers and, and aligning customer expe- expectations. Right now, I think the customers in general are saying, you know, we have these high expectations and we'd like to see, you know, maybe these products or services available to us in a year, when that's not really, um, it's not reasonable for the utility. So that's another big challenge is how do we start to align customer expectations as well as move forward um, with these digital strategies that better leverage data and find, find more value in the data that already exists.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Aaron. I, I think you make a great point. And one of the major challenges I found, you know, in terms of accessing customer data has always been utilities kind of getting past the meter, right? <clears throat> and and really being able to get into the premise and 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 and, and having the permission to do that, right? And that was really great because we were having a couple of conversations at dinner table on Tuesday night. And one of the conversations was around that exactly. Like, well, how do you really get past the meter? Like one um one utility company, very smart, very innovative, very forward thinking, say, hey, you know, we actually even thought about, you know, providing Internet service provider business. You know, we, we thought about providing a router and access to the network. And I said, you mean, you, get, you guys going to compete with Comcast? You're going to compete with AT&T and you're going to compete with Verizon? I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's the way to go, because those guys are actually getting set to come into your space. Right. I mean, you know, Comcast, you look at what Telstra is doing in Australia. Now, they're basically have got their ducks in a row. They're just waiting for regulation to change where they can play in retail. And you know they've, they've already got four or five services that they offer. You know They came in with voice, then they came in with data, they came in with video, they're coming in with home security. There's a fifth play, right? And that fifth play for them is energy, right? Why? Because look, all the appliances are gonna connect and if not, you can go buy a few cheap sensors and put them on your appliances, which can connect to your router and then they can come in and aggregate and integrate. Get all that information, understand what loads are happening inside the inside the building, inside the house, uh, small and medium business, and you know they'll be able to aggregate and you know wholesale markets are opening up. they can get in there and and begin to trade and they've got all the systems, the back ends they've been doing this for a long time. they've got all the analytics, the customer analytics or and or they can rapidly develop them. so how are you going to compete with that in that front? And, and of course, the thermostat has always been the target, too. And that's a challenge because it's a walled garden. You know, the protocols are proprietary. People won't let you get in, won't let you get the data. You know, um, if I'm Nest, I'm going to own all that. I'm not going to let you, utility company, uh, get access to that. So that's been a challenge for them. But until now. So the conversation kind of moved towards in that direction. And one of the things that I mentioned that, you know, Abb is doing particularly on this front is the control panel, right? The distribution control panel. That is an intelligent device. It has networking capability. It's modular. It can integrate your PV, your EV. It can integrate your uh, you know, uh, batteries in there. It can sense all the loads that are occurring. It can actually even do a control. So that becomes a phenomenal gateway or edge device or edge platform, not only be able to access all that data information, but also be able to um, you know, run applications um, in, in that front. So That became a very interesting discussion. And and now I think we're opening up the world of, oh my God, you know I can do this. Uh, now I, I got all the electricians; they know how to work a panel, they know how to install it. They can actually go in there. We got permission to do that. We can do it much cheaper than anybody else could do it even the customer itself. We can now begin to build a lot of value around that and and get into you know electrification as a service as a as a service provider. So I think I think you know to exactly what you said, Aaron. Um, they need to accelerate this process because technology is no longer an issue, right? Uh, you know, we can actually get in there, but it's a big change in mindset. It's also a big change in, in, in an approach, um, strategy. You know, how am I gonna monetize these things? What kind of services can I layer on top of it? It actually opens up a whole new door of opportunities, but also goes back to what are my competencies? Where's my core? You know, what's my strategy? How am I going to actually uh, get out there? Because uh, you, if you stack it up, the benefits are phenomenal, right? Not only new revenue coming from the unregulated side of the business, uh, yes, there's an investment, no question, there's capabilities need to be developed, no question, but I can actually use that data information to optimize my grid, right? And that's that's the big discussion, I think, that's, that's the big way going forward, um, you know, not about oh my God, renewables are hitting me, EVs are hitting me. It's going to cause huge problems for me in terms of my infrastructure. But my God, what an opportunity. I can actually get access to that information. I'll begin to utilize it in a way that allows me to optimize the rest of my uh, operation, increase my margins on the other side. So fantastic conversations. I tell you, it was was a tremendous forum.
0: You said something there that that I thought was interesting about how um, we're we're getting to a point where it's no longer, where it's no longer about the technology piece. Although obviously the technology plays a huge role, but the, on one of my panels, uh, Eric Svonholm from, from iPerk, he said, mm-hmm. I mean, he was talking about cybersecurity, but I think this applies to a lot of things uh, is he said, we, the, the good news is the technology, we have a lot of the technology we need, but what we need, but what it needs to change is a, is a difference in strategy and, uh, mm-hmm. just putting the right people in the right systems. So uh, I'm wondering if you also kind of think that. I've been hearing a lot about a, a shift in conversation from the new technologies that we need to incorporate and the systems we need to actually make that technology efficient and interoperable. So uh, yeah. what, what what are your yeah. thoughts on that, about where we're heading in that regard?
2: Well, I think, I think what, from what you said, what stands out to me the most is, Exactly that. It's it's a strategy, um, but it's also it's also a strategy around um, a, a shift in mindset, right? I mean, if you look at today, the strategy is all around operating a network, right? That's the mindset. We're going to operate a network, so we're going to. That's it. We're, so what does that say? It says, well, it's it's a closed system. Um, it's contained. Um, there's no access in. There's no access out. And I think we're everything's migrating to. If you look at the digital world, the digital world is about migration from a product or network to solutions, which is expansion of that network into other components, third-party components potentially, to a platform, which is enabling uh, a plethora of ecosystem. So that's a big, big strategy shift, which is Uh, Hey, uh, look, I've got a network, I'm going to put out RFPs, you come in, you tell me what you got, it's going to go in there, it's contained, I'm going to manage it, I'm going to own it, I'm going to control it, to, well, wait a minute, I'm going to actually have to open this up to an ecosystem of players, so it's no longer a network, but it's becoming a platform, whereby I can actually create services I can create service. I can be the orchestrator of that data and services. Big shift, right? And that's the digital strategy shift, the mindset shift, network to a platform, enabling an ecosystem. And I think that's what they're faced with today. And we fully realized some of the challenges, you know, some of that data and information that, that's in that network today is extremely sensitive, uh, not only from a security standpoint, but also from a business standpoint. You know, there's a lot of um, value in that data. And of course, very sensitive about who looks at that data. But you know, that's not a big issue. That is, again, technology to your point is there. You can segment that data. You can control the access to that data. There's enough security in it. Yeah, people may not have uh, a lot of uh, confidence in it, but it's there, it's happening, it's it's there. So now that, that shift in strategy needs to take place. How do, I, how do I open this up as a platform? How do I really enable an ecosystem? Because I can't have it, I mean, you know, um, last time I saw uh, a utility company be able to recruit Google level analy- you know, data data scientists. Um, well, actually, I haven't seen it yet, so that's to be seen, right? So, but you know, so who's going to write the analytics? Um, who, who can write the analytics? Who's better suited to write the analytics? Can I be an orchestrator enabling uh, that you know company that could do the analytics to come in and be a part of that value chain and monetize that? That's the shift in thinking. That's the shift in strategy that needs to happen.
0: Uh, that hiring process sounds easier said than done. Cause how do you convince a Google level tech guy to come work for your, your municipal utility instead of Google?
2: Well, great point. You got to kind of look a little bit more like Google, don't you? Those guys, yeah, you gotta, you gotta stop your people that know electrons and movement electrons and are network engineers and understand electricity and all that um but you now have to actually open up the opportunity for people to come in and build application solutions to platform development and then i think that's the shift so once you once you make the mindset shift which is i'm no longer a network only which by the way is a viable business i mean i'm not i'm not uh, i'm not poo-pooing that business at all because you can actually have a decent rate of return and margins provided that you focus on efficiency right that's going to be your core focus you know, you can still make a decent margin just being a network operator. So that's a viable business, no question. But if you really want to grow, if you really want to um, get to this opportunity that, that's coming down in, you know, we're, we're talking about hundreds of billions, about trillions of, of, of dollars of opportunity being opened up in the various industries that they could serve, you know, as a result of electrification, just alone that's occurring in these industries, right? Manufacturing, transportation, et cetera. So if you want to have access to that, you know that's that's going to require a different kind of play. Um, so you know, look at STEM, right? STEM comes in over the top. They can recruit people that you know that do analytics. They can recruit Google people, Google-like people. They're behaving a lot more like that, and and you know they're going in that world where where there's a lot more software, uh, there's a lot more more um, monetization of the data, um, and and you know, that's what attracts the the talent. Um, it's a, it's a very different world. So you got to actually create that environment uh, you got to set your strategy in that direction you got to create that environment and then that opens up access into those billions if not trillions of dollars that are going to be spent over the next decade uh in electrification and digitalization that that's happening
0: and i would i would like to have access to trillions of dollars of opportunity
2: <laughs> and you I, can Dylan. let's let's start a company oh, i mean
0: i love I, I lo- yeah i, lo- I love z prime but I will say, I, I will say, we don't have trillions of dollars. I, I get the, I get access to the opportunity <laughs> of free coffee every now and again, though, so I got that going for me.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if we do a startup, you get more than free coffee for a while, but hey, it's out there, you know. And and the VCs are flocking to it, so maybe maybe you and I should put a plan together, huh? Yeah. Uh,
0: another thing you talked about in your talk is the quote-unquote energy revolution, which was a very popular uh, phrase to throw around at ETS. I, what I'm interested in, I think we're very aware that at this moment in time we're in a period of great change, which the energy industry hasn't seen, maybe since the since the '70s when there was a when there was a big crisis and we had to basically uh, work our work our way out of that into a new way of doing business because the old way of doing business basically had a cap on the amount of growth it could do, and when it hit that we didn't know what to do because the model was built solely for that kind of growth. But uh, there are some similarities and some differences from that time. One of the main similarities is that both were sort of customer driven uh, because in the seventies, there was a big, the big suburban moves of the customers kind of made the existing infrastructure obsolete. And so that caused a huge infrastructure change, but the main difference is that now it's a digital thing. And also the Mm -hmm. fact that we're, Like you said, we're trying to move to a more service, the utility is trying to move to a more service oriented business model. So this is one thing I have trouble explaining to my friends who aren't in energy about why the business model is changing because they think, well, from our end, a lot of times it doesn't seem all that different because we're still paying our bill, our bill you know, goes up or down and everyone has to buy electricity. It's not like you can say, oh, I'm going to go take my business elsewhere. So they're like, well, why, why do you need to do this? So uh, what's, a, what's a really easy way to explain how we got here and why the system fundamentally need, needs to change?
2: You know, I was uh, I I was uh, listening to uh, Guy Kawasaki do a TEDx call at Berkeley, uh, phenomenal talk on innovation. And part of his talk, I thought it was, it was just fantastic. He hit the nail on the head. And he said, you know, the the major innovations have been coming down the pike at us if if you really think about it. And he started back in the uh, days where people used to go carve ice out of lakes, and you know that that was the model. The model was you go carve tons and tons, you harvest ice and and that was it and that's the way people consumed it so it was like tied to a specific uh you know uh, season where their lakes would fr- freeze and they would go out and you know carve these ice uh you know big big chunks of ice and then and then distribute it and the whole model was around harvesting and then later on you know they came up with innovation around factories that actually manufacture ice and wow that became that became for a few decades that that was the way to do it you had big companies that manufacture ice and that completely changed the world in the way that we would consume ice, and we no longer have to wait for you know seasons and and so on and so forth and then and then on comes another innovation, and that's the refrigerator whoa, that's democratization of ice making everybody's got a refrigerator in their home; they can manufacture they can consume it anytime they want and I thought, wow, so let's think about you know let's think about the energy industry. You can actually draw the same parallel by the way, you can draw the same parallel with telcos what's what happened with voice. Um, you know, as, as we went through the decades and, and how that changed and voice is now free. Wow. You imagine that you know, several decades ago? You know, I'm sure that people in the early 1900s never imagined they make ice at home. We back about 20, 30 years ago never imagined that voice would be free. So, So what we're seeing is and, and the pattern there was democratization, right? And then Google comes along. What do they do? They democratize information. So these innovations are occurring, no question about it. And the innovations have already occurred in the uh, electric utility industry, too. So if I stand here today and say electricity at some level will almost be free, you'll probably say you're crazy. But that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that innovation and in technology over the decades, whereby somebody's democratizing something that that was centrally controlled, centrally owned, centrally managed, and the whole world, the mindset was around that's the way you take it and you consume it, that's changed already, right? So we're looking at a world where electricity is becoming democratized. And, And look, all the evidence is out there, right? PVs are dropping in price, batteries are dropping in price. I can actually, as a consumer, produce my own electricity, kind of like the ice, I don't need to harvest it anymore. So so that democratization of electricity is changing the world as we know it. There's also another trend called mobility and there's another trend called modularization. Uh, So if we look at it from an industrial world where most of the revenue is sitting, manufacturing, which is a big consumer of energy, right? I think commercial industrial for the most part is 60%, maybe 50, 60% of the revenues of any given uh, electric utility distribution company in, in most of the regions in the world. And, and even if you look at the household side of it, that democratization is already beginning to happen. That change in shift in models is already beginning to happen. Uh, so we're, we're prosumers and we're mobile prosumers, right? We're going to add electric ve- vehicles to it, e-mobility to it. We're going to add, you know, AVs to it, autonomous vehicles to it. That world of transportation is shifting. The world of manufacturing is go- going towards modularization and electrification and automation. That's all happening. Um, so that's what I would say. I would say that the world is shifting. And, and more so, kind of like what happened in the telco world with data and voice, we're beginning to say, see the same evidence occurring in the electric utility world. Um, a lot of it's still regional. I mean, you, you know, um, you still can't shift electrons from one side of the world to the other side of the world. Well, that's also potentially could happen. But, but that's the shift that we're seeing. We're seeing that democratization of electricity in a way that Uber democratized taxis, uh, in a way that you know Amazon democratized um, you know people being able to buy and sell, or eBay did, right? In the same way that we saw Google democratize information, in the same way. So I can just go on and on and on about this, right? So that's that's I think the big trend. That's the big shift. Um, I hope I hit the point on it, but but that was that was the main thing, right?
0: Right. From that perspective, uh, let's engage in a little thought experiment. Um, All right. So if we lived in a world where home solar, just like home solar, home generation in that larger scale capacity for residential customers just didn't exist, like it was not economically viable or not. Legislatively viable. Uh, does that the specifics don't matter. But if we didn't, if we didn't live in a world where that home generation existed, would we still see the the radical transformation of model we have today just because of the digi- digitalization and of assets and energy efficiency and the like?
2: Yeah, you know, honestly, I don't think so. I wouldn't see it in the same magnet and I wouldn't see the same compelling uh, events that would drive us to where we are today. It's almost a moot point, right? Because that, that that's happening, and the commoditization in that space is actually occurring more rapidly than we, we thought it would. And oh my God, when China comes on board, uh, you know that commoditization will go even 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 I think faster. Um, you know, um, so so yeah, you know I don't think so. I don't think I don't think we would have seen the same compelling uh, reason and event for a revolution in this industry if that had not happened if um, the, the distributed energy uh, generation and consumption uh, had not occurred. So, and, and you know, and, and, and renewables, right? I mean, the fact is that at some point we would have had to come up with a solution because the fossil fuels aren't going to last forever. Um, you know, nuclear is a great thing, but still, you know, there's a lot of social apprehension around it. Uh, so, so the only, you know, there's a couple of abundant sources of energy that we have to tap into ultimately. So I, I think ultimately it would have happened. Yeah, I know it was but uh, It's a matter of timing, right? It's a matter of timing to your point, right?
0: Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I know it was kind of a dumb hypothetical because like we're already here, so, uh, but I, I'm sort of interested in the story of how we got to this moment in time because yeah. it's, because it's a it's a perfect storm of factors, um, things like aging infrastructure combined with combined with the rise of the prosumer and the idea of home generation and the, also the new ways that utilities can take it can take advantage of energy sources. So there there's uh, there's this whole perfect storm of factors that are causing ma- that are causing massive change in a very sh- very short amount of time.
2: Yeah, you know it's interesting. I, I tell you a story. I, I think the perfect storm that you're referring to wasn't all that. Uh, accidental in the way it happened, right? Uh, I think what we began to see was the world was faced with, oh my God, what are we going to do? There's, there's no more fossils to dig up and burn. Um, you know, we're, we're in, and the population's just growing uh, like unbelievably fast, and and yeah, you know, that's that's a that's a precious resource for us, energy in terms of of our continued survival and evolution. So um, innovation happens, right? So innovation happens. And and that innovation was, oh, well, let's tap into some other source of energy. Oh my God, yeah, we can put it anywhere we want because the sun doesn't care where it shines. It shines wherever it wants. And there's some places it shines better than other places. So let's let's move that and let's put it where it shines the best. And, and so let's start tapping into that. And that began to create a problem that really highlighted the aging infrastructure because, first of all, well, there's two problems there, right? It was designed for one-way movement of electrons, um, and now there's bi-directional movement, and two, it began to put a lot of load on it. And then somebody said, my God, it doesn't make sense to put that stuff in a car either. Why don't we put batteries in a car and have that be mobile? And now you've got, you know, Tesla that comes online, and one Tesla, was, it was a great anecdotal story I got from one of our uh, one of our uh, uh, customers, uh, you know, uh, one of our uh, utility customers, and he goes, yeah, you know, we didn't realize it that, you know, when Teslas became so popular um, that, you know, charging a Tesla um, at that time, I think it was like model 70s, uh, 60s or 70s even, uh, you know, I, I took on like seven households full on with air conditioner, pool pump going, everything going of energy to, to uh, you know, load up a Tesla. And, and uh, we never planned that kind of a capacity. Uh, so we started blowing transformers as they added more and more Teslas into the neighborhood and we can you know we couldn't even predict when they're going to come and go and when that was going to happen so we started blowing transformers so, so the whole aging infrastructure problem became um much more visible because there was a shift in the consumption there was a shift in demand there was a shift in behavior uh you know a shift was production a shift was mobile consumption and even more consumption in some you know in some instances and that network was not dynamic. It's not, you know, that network infrastructure is not a dynamic infrastructure. It was very well planned and designed to go for 40 years. So so I think it began to really highlight those challenges and issues. Um, and, and that was the sequence in which we began to see this whole thing unfold. And of course, the economics, this whole the sole you sustainability, know, all those other issues and in some instances, regulation and government intervention really exasperated the problem. And then, there was a lot more innovation that was occurring at the same time. Uh, you know, people were thinking about democratization to this to a greater extent, and so, so I think that's that's how the storm formed. Um, um, and it wasn't it wasn't incidental that that all these issues and challenges are now you know surfacing around the current infrastructure, and that's the revolution because demand, consumption, production is shifting. It's time shifting, and it's it's location shifting. It's mobile as well, right? Um, And and that basically highlights the problem that this infrastructure that we've designed 30, 40 years ago, or we're still designing as if it's going to be static for the next 30, 40 years, is going to be able to support that. And that's really highlighting the, the, the big challenges that we've got on that end of the spectrum. But it's really about the fact that consumption and generation has shifted in the way that it used to be done. Right, um, and 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 the patterns, the patterns are shifting. The behaviors are shifting, and and you mu- you need a much much more dynamic environment uh, to be able to not only manage that, um, but to also be able to capitalize on it and monetize it.
0: So, Aaron, uh, you you've read a lot of you you've read a lot of books uh, about about energy and energy history. Uh, in your in your time at Z Prime, so if you were going to write a book about the last ten years of energy, what what would the title of the book be?
1: Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I think it would be something around probably the consumer, the individual that plays a role in the transformation. So um, I don't know, maybe what about the um the new age individuals and the digital grid i don 't know. I just think that this idea of independence from the grid is something really reflective of what 's going on in our cultural on, in our culture in general. this idea that we can just you know do things by ourselves if if someone else doesn 't do things to so the way we 'd like them to be done we we'll just go ahead and do it by ourselves just so slap a solar panel on our roof and put a battery in our in our garage, and and there we go. We're independent from the grid. So I think it would really be focused on that, on that aspect. I I need help on the title. I'm not still, You know, I'm not the creative one on the content team, but that's what I think my overall theme of the book would be. Sounds like a
2: great book, Aaron. Spot on. That's I think exactly what's going on. You know, what we call democratization of of these things, uh, democratization things that used to be centralized, right?
0: Yeah, I think the new age individual is is uh, pretty catchy. Reminds me of the sentient machines, and uh, I'm not sure if you could. I'm not sure if you could tell, but I was uh, very, I was very unsubtly getting someone else to write the episode title
2: for the week. So thanks, Aaron. Here you go. The sentient. What was it? The sentient.
0: The sentient machine. That's that's Amir Hussein's book. That was about AI. But we have the yeah. the the new age individual. I like that. Sentient individual. There the you go. Sentient individual. <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know if Amir would like us ripping his book title
2: off. you share like... <laughs> you can share you can share some of the proceeds. <laughs> exactly. Here you go, Spark Packers. There you go. There you go.
0: All right. Well that what was. What about a... you,
1: Dylan? I'd Me? like to hear your thoughts.
0: A... What what yeah. would your
1: book at least be about or or maybe be titled?
0: Um it's very similar in that I think it would be about, uh, it would be about, man, I guess it would be about that perfect storm I talked about earlier. But I'm pretty sure the perfect storm is the title of like a hundred books, so I have to come up with <laughs> something better. But the idea, the idea of uh, the idea of it of there being his, both historical factors and modern factors kind of coming coming kind of coming together along with this new sense of energy independence my book would just be about the coming together of all of these factors to make a new energy era so it might be something like
1: if you're writing it do you think you would take you know kind of a a technical approach that was very fact-based and saying these are Hmm. statistics that would support my argument or would you kind of take a narrative i don't want to say fictional approach but take a more yeah approach that you're narrating a story on this transformation what how do you think you would you would do that
0: So you're asking if I'm writing the modern day empires of light or the modern day the grid right
1: Yes um, yeah there you go
0: So yeah, I well I'm a I'm a prose writer by trade not by trade I do this by trade uh I do a lot of creative writing so I would probably go the, the story based approach I always like the story that's kind of what I was Going yeah. for when we were talking earlier today, or talking earlier in the podcast about the about the story of how we got here, because that's that's kind of important to me and how it parallels with the story of how we got to the energy crisis in the seventies and you know the you other know, transformations.
2: Yeah, you know everybody everybody loves a good story. I tell you what, if you write a Malcolm Gladwell style or a James Burke style book, I, I'd buy a hundred copies right now. Can I put a pre order in? I love those stories. <laughs> oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, now
1: I love. I love. I love that. Rob uh, Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite authors, and I was actually just talking to one of my friends about um, the Tipping Point because I've read the Tipping Point and what the Dog Saw mm-hmm. probably you know six or seven times each. Um, and I think yeah, it's it's fascinating his ability to tell these narratives, but also to oh, get yeah. you thinking critically about these overall trends and ideas it's sometimes i feel like i'm reading passages in his books and i'm like are you in my head right now i (laughs) it's it's really amazing how it does
2: that yeah no (laughs) yeah it is and and you know it's a a great story too like you, you you just captures you and but but at the same time you get it like you get these and he's great about writing trends right um, you know, these trends mm-hmm. that sort of define who we are, what we are, and how we think, and how we operate, and what happens in our world. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. That was just phenomenal. So, so if you had I'll, I'll put a your order in.
1: <laughs> Rob, if you had to pick your favorite Malcolm Gladwell book, what would it be?
2: Blink. Blink, without question. Blink. blink and Outliers. Outliers was pretty good, too, but Blink was, blink was one of his best, in my opinion. Yeah. How about yours?
1: Um... I think it would be What the Dog Saw, probably, uh, but I mm. didn't really like like I like all of them, honestly, um, but yeah. I like the perspective um, of What the Dog Saw. I think it was maybe the most, I think that book was different than the way I view a lot of things and the, the way I perceive the world, and that book really challenged me to think of things differently, whereas... His other books, I think, you know, they challenge me to think about things, but not really in too much of a, a different capacity. But what the dog mm-hmm. saw really made me think about how I perceive things and how maybe my my perceptions are different than other people's and, and how to take those into account when I'm approaching situations. So I think that's why I would pick what the dog saw. But all, all the books. You know, I got to go,
2: go read that one. I haven't read that one. I think that's the it, one it, I it, missed. It, out of the
1: yeah, it's really fascinating. It really is. It's talking about you know how how your perception of a situation is is different than someone else's, and and you know how can you address um, some of the the blind spots or some of the things you don't see that other people may see, and then how do you move forward in solving problems, doing that. So it's very yeah. interesting.
2: Well, you know, actually, it sort of really fits into what we're seeing in modern day theme, at least well, I can say around the Bay Area, which is all the mindfulness era. It's a sort of mindfulness revival era right now. It sounds like it fits in perfectly into that sort of theme of, mm-hmm. of mindfulness, you know, your perception, your thoughts, how they shape, change the world around you and how you perceive the world, how you engage and interact. Right? But it just that's kind of like sounds like it fits right into that theme. I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm going to read it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you should. I, I highly suggest it.
2: You see, Aaron. Wow. That was my, that was another big takeaway for me today. Thank you guys.
0: You see, Aaron, when, when you actually read the book, you're really good at talking about the book.
1: So I did, I did finish the Android's Dream of of Electric Sheep. Rob, we have an internal Z Prime book club and the last book I didn't, I didn't finish on time. So I wasn't able to discuss it very well, but Bill and I did finish the book and I, I thought it was, you know, really great.
0: Good. Just, Which book was that? It, it was "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" by Philip K. Dick. Really, get really good book. Uh, <laughs> I love that but, title. <laughs> yeah, it's the inspiration for Blade Runner, the original one. If you've ever seen that.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, I love the movie. I'll definitely have to get that one too. Okay, you guys, you guys took care of my next two weeks here of insomnia. <laughs> uh,
0: I've never actually read a Malcolm Gladwell book, but I do remember he did a TED talk once where he talked about you talked about pasta sauce as a, as the metaphor, not a metaphor as because it was real, but it was about an, it was an anecdote about pasta sauce competitions and how customers, uh, want, want, cho- want choice more than they want, uh, a magic bullet. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the idea of the pasta companies that were more success that were more successful, were the ones that offered that offered many different choices to serve underserved markets, rather than ones that just focus group to try and make the, be- the the perfect pasta sauce. I think the line is: there's no perfect pasta sauce. There's only perfect pasta sauces. Uh, so that you have a lineup that can. But it's a great it's a great talk about marketing and stuff. And it was, but that's that's pretty much the extent of what I know about Malcolm Gladwell. Also, I know he's Canadian.
1: I'm pretty sure it's Dylan. So I'm pretty sure that excerpt is from Rob's favorite book, which is Blink. So maybe you should read Blink if you liked the pasta sauce.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Fair enough. I uh, that was I just remember that from his TED talk. Oh, by the way, uh, I remembered right at when you right before you guys started talking about Malcolm Gladwell that I did find the perfect title for my my upcoming book that doesn't exist. Uh, about the last decade in energy. Because I was talking about how it's this this conglomeration of all these different factors. And the perfect title was we already we already used as a title for a previous podcast, and it's called the Utility Stew. The Utility Stew. I like stew. that. Yeah, I love
2: it. I love it. Winner. All
0: right. Now I really need to have some lunch <laughs> because I'm thinking about <laughs> stew again.
2: <laughs> We're back to food. We did. A garlic in that.
0: Full circle. Well, thanks for being on, Rob. It was a it was a really great conversation. I really like uh, I really like when we get to talk about the energy story as a whole. So, thanks for indulging me on that.
2: Uh, it was a pleasure, Dylan. It was a pleasure uh, getting on here with you and Aaron, and I enjoyed it. It was it was great. Thank you for having me. Yep,
0: yeah. uh, we were very happy to have you, and Aaron. Thanks, thanks for coming.
1: Thanks, Dylan. You actually. And, and- book exactly what I was gonna say from Rob for Rob. I was gonna say, Rob, thank you for indulging us in our, in our books conversation. So thanks for stealing that from me, Dylan.
2: Oh it was a it was a, it was a total pleasure for me and, and you know I like I, I walked away. I I've just got on Amazon and I'm ordering that book right now, Aaron. I'm I'm doing it as we speak. Nice. See we, people
0: people do still read these days. That was fantastic. You can find us on social media at dylockwood, at Aaron underscore Hardic, Z prime underscore research. To find our research in media, you can go to etsinsights.com. Thanks to ABB for sponsoring this podcast. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.